Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. Welcome back to this week's episode of Grow or Die. I am Laura Chestikoff from Firebird Summit. Hey, 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 everyone. This is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. It's great to be back this week with you, Laura. Yes, you too, Lawrence, as always. So I understand you have got a topic. I got a topic. Um, and, and you'll love this one, particularly of the season that we're in uh, with it being an election cycle. And I posted something today around this topic uh, of just how are we as business owners really truly to honor ourselves with authenticity. Um, and uh, how, where it came from over the last several months, um, while the topic has been mainstream, and it's crazy that this is happening again during the election year. But back in 2016, this topic got thrown out there about implicit or unconscious bias um, and how it was weaponized. It was turned into this thing. Even though the topic had, is very old, um, it, it turned into this very black, very white thing. Um, but since I've been doing my business full time, particularly around the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion, these are not new topics. But one thing that as a business owner, I've been asked more and more to do is do demos of what I'm going to say um, and making sure and what I'm really uh, finding out is that they are inadvertently in their unconscious bias. They're really unaware that they're asking me to script myself based on their level of comfort. And it's funny um, because it's like, as a business owner, and the reason why we go into this work is like, hey, I can call the shots. I can say yes to you. I can say no to you. Um, but what does it really look like to be fully authentic and also make a living? And, and so that's the topic we have today. How can you truly be authentic in the work that you do and and hopefully not feel like you're sacrificing or you're um, you're doing anything that's going to harm your your value system. Wow, this is such a hard one. I think that you know it's one of those things that a lot of times when you have a full time job, somebody else is kind of covering that extra risk. Um, it's easy for this to seem really black and white. Right. It's really easy for this to seem like no big deal or not a big thing. Um, and yet, um, you know, I had, just as an example, I had my old business partner got an opportunity with um, a client. It, it was for a marketing project. Uh, got an opportunity with a client that was uh, doing a big fracking operation in Oklahoma. And he and his partner had a pretty big, or his, his spouse, <laughs> that was his business partner. I was okay with it. I didn't want, I wasn't going to take him either, but uh, he and his spouse had a pretty big disagreement about 
that, right? I mean, one person's perspective is this is income that supports our family. Like, I, I understand your objection, but you need to put it aside because we got, we got bills to pay. The other one is, holy shit, I need to be able to sleep at night and I can't do it if these are the kind of clients I'm working for. It is a really hard thing to do. It's also, I think, difficult, um, even in really small levels, you know, right? Like Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death this last week has been, I think, a really um, interesting example, right? Because you see people who normally avoid politics like the plague on LinkedIn or in business contexts, and they're still having a reaction to her death. And, you know, those of us like me who are, you know, very vocal politically anyway, like I had a full on meltdown, you know, over the weekend and I'm not, you know, and so did a lot of my friends, like that was a very big thing. And so trying to hide it was impossible. Like there was no, like I couldn't have even tried if I wanted to. Um, and so it's a very, it's a very hard thing. And I think the biggest difficulty becomes figuring out where you're going to draw that line, right? I have worked, I have, I have been um, in partnership collaborations with other organizations where I have been assigned a client as part of my relationship with this firm um, that I would never have agreed to work for. Like I, I was fundamentally not okay working for this client. I had a huge problem with it. Um, and at the time I didn't feel, A, I wasn't confident enough in my income without taking it. So there's that. Um, I also didn't feel like my relationship with this, with this organization was strong enough at that time for me to say, mm -mm, no, no, I'm not going to go be a good little girl and, you know, suck up to this particular client who I can give you a list of things that I find objectionable about the way they conduct business. Um, so I think it, it's, it's one of those things that you have to iterate over time. And I think you're, you're your boundaries change over time too, right? I mean, it's one thing when you're comfortable with the rest of your income or you've got enough savings and you know, you, you know, you can go a couple months without needing to take on a client like this and be able to say, oh yeah, hell no, 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 no. There are other times where there are other reasons. Um, for me, the reasons that will sometimes cause me to compromise outside of like immediate financial need are usually relationships, right? There, there are clients I have taken because they were referrals or because I had somebody whose relationship I valued needed my help as, you know, sort of helping out with a client. And so I think this is a really hard values question because I don't think it's exclusively a question of what are my core values. It's about what, what do I need to do to support my values long-term? And sometimes it might be, well, yeah, I don't, like it and I'm gonna have to hold my nose when I work with them uh, but at the moment I'm kind of worried where the mortgage is coming from in the next couple months and so I think for me that the hardest thing to do is to be flexible about that and not be so hard and fast that you box yourself in um, into a situation where you, you really might not have the luxury of being able to afford it right like it's one thing for me to say in a month when I've got plenty of client work and plenty of billables and everything's good. You know what? I, I appreciate your interest. That's great. Really not in a position to take you on right now. Try not to burn any bridges if you don't really, really have to. 
Yeah, I've had a couple that I, you know, have had trouble not saying, oh yeah, not with a gun to my head would I help your sorry ass out. But, but for the most part, I also have to acknowledge there have been points in my life where, you know, I don't know how I'm paying my, my electricity bill. So guess what? If I had to take on a client, I, thought, I have. There are clients I've taken on in those situations where, yeah, I had to hold my nose. And so I think the hardest thing about that is, um, is really being, finding a way to feel like you're being as ethically consistent as you can be and as you need to be for yourself just to sleep at night, but also recognizing that, you know, you might have other people who are depending on you. You might have, you know, any number of other things. And when that's the case, sometimes the only real answer is take a deep breath, count to 10, limit the scope. One of the things that I was actually really um, able to do a couple of years ago when I found myself in this really bad financial pickle around stuff like this was, all right, look, I don't, I, I know I can't take dealing with, you know, you particularly egregious client uh, for six months. So I'm not going to agree to a six month engagement. I do know that financially I probably could, I need to buy myself at least a couple of months. So I'm, you know, having some flexibility with myself about how I handled that. I reduced what should have been or what, what I would have normally committed to on a six month basis down to a 60 day engagement. Tried to be really surgical, very clear, buy myself a little bit of breathing room, make sure I wasn't slamming any doors that I didn't absolutely need to slam shut, but also, you know, make sure that I wasn't putting myself in a position where I was going to be kicking myself indefinitely for months. Yeah. And I, and I think the biggest thing that, um, and, and I, lo I love the fact about the step back and, and you know, this uh, in particular situation that I'm thinking about, I stepped back several times, um, even so much so I need to take a nap. <laughs> like, I, like, it, it, like reading something caused me to have a pit in my stomach. And I was just like, okay, I'm potentially taking this wrong. And so calling a couple people I trust, of course, got my, got my wife, my, my, my ride or die in the home with me. And she, and, and it's funny you said what you said around just business. And she was like, no, you're a business. And so what would the business you say? Like, I get you, I get the person of you. And if you believe like after having several conversations that you really are, they're asking you to violate something, then of course that's a clear, that's a clear decision. But you need to be clear before, like you said, before any doors get slammed shut. And I think when we talk about authenticity as an action word, um, it oftentimes to me um, is very, you stick to your guns, you're true to your word, and, and you just go hard in the paint all day, every day. Well, there, there are degrees of going hard in the paint. Um, and you just described them very eloquently. And I think in this season of life, one thing that I've like, it's funny you said what you said about people who haven't had much to say politically, particularly around Black Lives Matter, particularly around social injustice and other issues that have happened over the last six months. But RBG's death caused these people to come out the woodworks. And to me, when we talk about authenticity, don't choose now or a certain situation to all of a sudden try to build up this voice 
like where were you when all these other things were happening and in particular one in particular and as a believer as a christian it was this evangelical pastor who all of a sudden is a hashtag blm person but it wasn't for black lives matter he had a a infant cutout and his post was babies lives matter and i'm like I was about to have a visceral reaction. Like online, and I'm like, I said, the fertilized egg is cool, but not the person carrying it. Or 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 not the actual baby once it's born <laughs> exactly. and exactly. you don't want to support it and don't want to actually make sure it's healthy well, and, and, and so immediately me, black man, okay, thinking about the black mother who has a black boy young man who now you like. Okay, so you could care about the baby, but not when he's an adult of age and you could care about if he's gunned down or not in this country in 2020. Like like that, like you don't have a reaction to that, but now it's like opportunity. And it's just like, miss me with this whole righteousness thing when it's convenient. And so, and, and so authenticity has come up like a lot over the last 72 hours. Um, and I've been watching your posts and thank you so much for the vulnerability of you um, and the consistency of you. <laughs> um, and again, if anybody out there, you wanna go hard in the paint on a political conversation, Alora is your lady, go for it. I'm telling you right now, you better put on a face mask cause you gonna get skull drunk. <laughs> but, but here's the thing, actually, and to your point on that, and so thank you, I yeah. appreciate that. It took me a very long time to kind of, you know, again, you know, very, my last full-time job was at a company that's owned by the Koch brothers. Like, seriously, like, it, this was not, it was a very, very difficult, and it's not like I've never been political. I just try to keep things as separate as possible. And I think for me, to your point about authenticity and to your point about sort of that hijacking of stuff, right? We've seen it with, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. I'm sorry, when Ted Cruz, now, first of all, I don't, I don't dispute the fact that Ted Cruz, as, you know, as a clerk in the Supreme Court, had lots of firsthand knowledge. And I, and I get that he has an intellectual appreciation for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But seriously, if there is one person in this country who stands diametrically opposed to every single thing that she stood for, it is Ted Cruz. So even him coming out and saying something nice about her, while I don't doubt that he did appreciate her intellectual approach to things, um, is still a very hard thing not to have a reaction to, right? It's very hard to contain it. And I think um, in some ways, while 2016 was a shock and it was a gut punch to all of us who really didn't believe that could possibly be the outcome of the election. Um, and while it certainly has made it um, sort of <laughs> release the Kraken in terms of, holy crap, this is, this is what we live with now. Um, but I do also think that maybe one of the positive benefits has been the fact that it did kind of force a lot of us to draw a line in the sand, right? Because you know, in the past, and I used to have debates with friends, longtime friends who, you know, were Republicans, um, who they didn't see the Republican Party as being racist or being, you know, prior to Trump. However, Trump for them and, and a lot of the, just the rhetoric that has been 
really regurgitated through this, his, his sort of takeover of the Republican Party, kind of pushed it things over the line so far that a lot of people who had been trying to kind of, you know, find a way to be okay with stuff just simply couldn't anymore. Um, and I think that what it, it did for some of us was kind of come back to this basic, to your point, authenticity statement of, I, in 2017, you know, I was, I, I, I took the job and then I had plenty of reasons for taking a job that had me working for the Koch brothers for 18 years. Um, in hindsight now, I probably couldn't do it again, um, regardless of all of the other reasons that for me, it was a good situation at that time, um, because things have sort of deteriorated so much on other fronts and I've very much kind of carved out my lines for myself. You know, I'm living in a very conservative place right now. My, my fiance got into an argument with a Trump supporting couple in the Home Depot parking lot because they took objection to my Biden bumper sticker on the back of my car, you know, a few days ago. And, and, and that's, you know, I used to live in Texas and we didn't have kind of that degree of stuff and we're seeing in Western Colorado right now. And so I have had to kind of make a commitment to myself around those choices to some extent. Um, you know, those, there are clients that I have worked for in the past that no, I would not actually go back. I wouldn't, wouldn't happen. Um, but I also recognize that I am kind of lucked out in that there are places that I know I can go when I do need more billable work or when I, you know, when my, my practice is kind of ebbing and flowing more. Um, and when I didn't have those options, I didn't have the luxury always, or I didn't always feel like I had the luxury of saying, you know what? I think we're better off not trying to work together. And so I think, I think that that part was really hard for me for a long time to be able to say, I remember, <laughs> I remember sitting in a client first day of a multi-day discovery session and they actually were, uh, had their lawyers in the Ninth Circuit challenging Obamacare on religious grounds around the, the, um, the, uh, provision that required that they, that they provide uh, um, birth control for their female employees. And we sat, as we kicked off the meeting that day, and they prayed, we had a prayer. We, so, we, so I already had, had to sort of prepare myself for the reality that I was at a client that was gonna open each day's meetings with a prayer. But the first day's meeting, the prayer was about their case challenging Obamacare so that they didn't have to actually buy birth control pills for their female clients, for their female employees. And I had to sit there and hold my tongue while they did that. And it was one of those things that in hindsight, it still blows my mind that I, my head didn't spin off my shoulders that day. Um, but I know where I was at that time. And I know that I did not feel like I could do or say anything. And certainly I felt a little surprised by the situation because we didn't know <laughs> I had gotten on, you know, I had traveled across two states to go to this client and then I get there and this is how we open up the first day's meetings and I wasn't expecting it. Um, you know, now some of those things are a little bit easier for me, but I've also gone out of my way to try to make sure I have a little bit more buffer to help ensure it because ethics are an expensive thing and, and there are days when sticking to your guns is a very, it's a very expensive choice. And if you have a family or you have health insurance or, you know, anything that 
doesn't necessarily have a lot of room to negotiate with you around some of that stuff, sometimes your only option is, okay, how do I build up my reserves? How do I make sure, you know, what, it's not just, you know, so, so my, my, uh, and this, I've, I've done this actually, this kind of helps, you know, my, my financial planner had, had me set up a couple of different bank accounts, right? One is for my taxes, savings account, just, just pay taxes. One is a savings account just for like cash reserves. And then I went off and set off another one in a separate bank for screw you, I'm not working for you. <laughs> kind of like a little bit of a slush fund that I can put money in so that when, you know, times start getting tight and I am faced with this decision of, God, do I have to take a client that I, I just don't, I, I don't, I can't, I cannot legitimately and in good faith root for them to be successful and effective because I abhor everything they stand for. Like, I don't, I don't want to find myself in that position any more than absolutely necessary. And so, yeah, I have a separate, not very big, little slush fund to help buy me an extra month, two months, whatever it is, when I find myself in a position where that's the choice I'm facing. It yeah. took a long time to get to that point. And, 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 I, and I, love the, I love those examples, um, particularly because, and, and for those listeners um, who are watching, who are, who are listening to the audio, um, get, you, get you an Elora. Um, somebody you could talk stuff out with, um, whether it's in a podcast form or, or just somebody you could hash things out. Because I think about, and as you were talking, it, there's a grace to authenticity. Um, and, and always, and again, and it goes back to old quote of assume the best until proven wrong. And particularly around topics that are um, quote unquote tough, there literally may be there are levels to this. There's left because me and you know how to go deep. We know how to get raw. We, we know how to go in and do the, the, the really, really dirty work really, really fast. But that's not everybody's story. That's not every organization's story. And so um, when I was thinking about just the reaction that I was having with several clients in these conversations about um, it's caused me to begin to upfront in the needs analysis ask a really clear question and I do it in um, almost an example form of trying to locate where they actually are and how ready they are for this work. And, and I use the analogy of, you know, a treadmill and I ask, I, you know, I ask a question and say, okay, if you're about to exercise, where are you at in that process? Are you on the couch looking at the treadmill? Are you standing by the treadmill? Did you actually get on it yet? did you turn it on? Like, where are you in this process of exercising as it pertains to this topic? And what I'm finding is people will over-exaggerate where they actually are. You have some people, oh, I'm on the trail. We're, we're jogging. And then you drop a topic and they're like, ooh, yeah. Uh, can we rewind the tape and say, and let's start at, uh, can we spell what we gonna talk about? Like, it, like they not even ready to talk about the topic yet. Like they're like, ooh, the way that you had the tone in which you were used when you said implicit bias, um, that invoked emotion. So can we start there? I'm like, yeah. If you just got, <laughs> if the hair rolls up on the back of your neck from me just saying implicit bias as a black man, if that caused you some your heart rate to go up, okay, we got a lot of work to do. Um, but it's funny that what I'm finding at, particularly around these topics, and we talk about coaching and we talk about support of organizations, really asking up front, like, what is your tolerance level 
for going deep and doing the work, right? And I, and I love I love that I'm doing the PhD work, right? And being reintroduced to Rogers bell curve of adoption. Like, where are you? Like, look, there's nothing wrong if you say you're a laggard. There's nothing wrong with it. You just need to let me know before I come up with these topics. And then in the middle of a session, you're holding your breath the entire time. And, and I see the color like drifting away from your face because you're like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm gonna get in so much trouble. <laughs> and so it's one of those things now, like with authenticity, like, no, I need you to be authentic with me. Like, this is not the time to be doing thumbs ups and smiles and you're scared to death. So it's funny. So, so I have two specific things that you, that I want to come back to, but just out of like amusement. So I am at my standing desk. I'm standing on my treadmill. I've been standing on this treadmill on my, under my standing desk for about two weeks. I haven't actually turned it on yet, <laughs> but I'm standing on it. Like for I me, it. like I, I am, it. I have learned that I will incrementally kind of get myself there and I'm, I kind of give myself a break about it. But yeah, I've been thinking the last couple of days, it's time I need to start like figuring out when I'm going to turn it on. But yeah, so I, I do appreciate the treadmill analogy. That's great. But actually, there are two specific things that you mentioned that I think are really important, um, even beyond just this specific example, right? First and foremost is the process. And I think this is something that um, new coaches kind of struggle with this, I know, but consultants do too. And I think this is um, what you just described is a really important piece, which is, um, I don't remember who said it, but it was a famous, I think it's probably an entrepreneur's quote that basically said, you know, if you and your client don't match, it's because you didn't screen them properly up front, right? And I think that the clearer you get about the kinds of people that are coming to you, the kinds of conversations that you're having, and especially if they start derailing, you know, like two or three sessions in, or you're like, you're underway and all of a sudden stuff starts falling off a cliff, right? I think once you start recognizing those patterns, the most useful thing you can do is go back and revisit your initial vetting process. Are you asking the right questions? Are you pushing them hard enough, fast enough? Are you saying, okay, look, we're gonna do a sample, like part of my process before we all agree to work together is we do a sample session. So I'm gonna give you, you know, two or three days, you go ahead, figure out what you wanna talk about, we're gonna come back, or I'm gonna give you an assignment or whatever it is, and we're gonna spend an hour. I'm very eager to find out if we're gonna be compatible working together, but I have learned that this is some hard stuff and not everybody's always ready and I don't want us both to commit only to discover that we actually have very different expectations about what this looks like. So I think that vetting process and really refining it and getting clearer and clearer and honestly, be brutal in that process. And this is actually one of those places where I think you in particular and your general style lends itself super well because you can say, okay, go, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a session. It's going to be me, you, and whatever, your, your direct report that you have the hardest time with. And so I want you guys to get together, discuss what you think is going to, you know, your, your challenge working together is, and then I want the three of us to have a session and we're going to work it out. And at the end of that, we're all going to know enough about how all of our working styles, you know, butt up against each other. And then you and I can sit down and discuss what a long-term engagement looks like. But I don't commit before we do that. Um, it, I think it helps with some skin in the game generally, but it really also clears the decks because especially from a coaching perspective, you can say, you know what, if at the end of it, we are not a good fit, no harm, no foul. You got a free hour of session out of it, you know, and in the process you get, you know, some better 
insights into some, you know, some screening stuff. If you do end up working with them, you see how do they function? How do they talk to their subordinates? How, like whatever those, those dynamics are, I think those, those kinds of, of, you know, try before you buy little experiments can be super helpful, um, especially if the alternative is, oh no, we're gonna dive in and this is gonna be like a six, nine, 12 month kind of deal here. Like I, no, 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 before we do that, we're gonna, we're gonna figure a little bit each other, each other out. I think the other thing that you brought up that I think is super, um, super important, and I know this has been one of my biggest weaknesses, is paying attention to the physical signs that your body is giving you when you start realizing, are you holding your breath? Are you gritting your teeth? Are you sitting there, I'm a horrible pen clicker and I will sit here and do this, and people on video calls get so irritated <laughs> because all they do is listen to my pen click, right? Whatever it is, paying attention. And, and I think so many of us, especially people who do more like, you know, brain-centric work and not as much physical work, we are very much trained to sit at the computer all day, to not, to not pay attention to our bodies. So as, from a coaching perspective, I think the useful thing is, Okay, great. That was a hard topic. Now, time out for a second. Tell me what your body's telling you. You know, you, you look like you're clenching your teeth. Is that just, you know, is that, is that true? Is that, is it just looking that way? What's the deal? But then start actually asking and having them talk you through it because I think that will help you get them to acknowledge it. But when it comes to you, it's also, you know what? When there are people who send me emails, and I see their name in my inbox, and I get a knot in my stomach before I ever see what they actually sent me, that's usually a pretty important sign that I need to pay attention to. Um, and it's not something I'm in the habit of always acknowledging. I'll, like I'm gonna I'm like clean up, oh, yeah, just you know, play through pain while you'll get to the other side. Not, 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 not actually the most helpful <laughs> choice in any number of cases. So yeah, I think both of those two things can be enormously valuable, um, but you just have to remember to call them. Yeah, when the time arises. I, I love that, particularly, um, and I know I'm, I'm guilty of it, um, where early on, I was so excited that somebody actually said yes um, to a conversation to potentially pay me, um, that I was like, cool, all right, um, where's the calendar? Because I don't want you to back out. So <laughs> let's get some bait, let's get some baits on the wall. And, and it's like, after the first initial session, like I get the assessment back and they're like, uh, you was like, your energy was really, really good, but we frightened. Um, can, can we get half of that session um, for the next time? <laughs> no, you don't get half of me, sorry. No. Like, and, and that was the part that I had to tell them. I was like, now look, I said, okay. And it was really, okay, let's reevaluate. Based on the original conversation we had, this is where I believed you were. Is that still true? And and I get a yes, but, and I'm like, nah, 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 nah. Yes, I said, that's a no. Not, yes, that's yeah, a no. no. Yes, but is not an answer. <laughs> yeah. Or the other part that I've that I've actually found out too is, and again, it goes to, um, it goes to language and seeking to understand because in their mind, they had it clear. In their mind. And so when you get introduced to somebody like us who we're like free range, all in, like we're on the innovator side of the bell curve. 
Like I'm ready to jump off cliffs every single day. I wake up. Oh yeah, we're not there. Like we, like we're still, we're still trying to figure out if we're gonna walk out the house to head to the cliffs. But I still, I still have that in my mind that that's that's what we're doing. But no, and so, so you, you were 100% on point when it's when really we like okay, let's walk the dog, let's do a preset, and I love that idea of a tryout session of hey pick a topic that you all want to engage in. Let's book an hour for you, small group, whatever. Let's really dig in, right? And, and then that way you can collect notes. And again, like you said, take some pressure off. It takes a little bit of things off. And then it's like, okay, try it before you buy it kind of thing. And then, like you said, no harm, no foul. We don't, there aren't calendars already booked and all the rest of that stuff. And then again, we continue to build relationships. And then as you get ready, Hopefully you continue to do work and, and that's, I love giving out homework, right? That's what us coaches love to do. Um, you have assignments like, hey, when you're ready, give me a call. But here are some things to get ready, right? Like, okay, here's some, give yourself some milestones, right? Up until this date, you're going to do what? You're going to have more conversations. Cool. If that's all the goal is, then have more conversations. Um, but particularly around authenticity, one of the things that I believe organizations are missing an opportunity or they have an opportunity still that right in their face is that they can still figure this virtual world out and how to lean into having authentic messages. Um, and one of the things that is funny, um, I love movies and I love using movies as a part of training. Um, but one in particular I, I've been using as of late is a uh, hitch. Um, and, and, and particularly the, the, the part around Albert Brenneman, um, and, and, you know, Hitch, Will Smith's character, them talking about his first last kiss and how he needs to go 90 and let her come 10. And what I've been using it with leaders and particularly around messaging of we need to locate where the people we are wanting to have a conversation with us, wanting to engage with us, we have to locate how far they're willing to lean in. And as leaders, we need to lean as far as we believe necessary and then let them come to us, not force our way into their space, not take in because that becomes a very authoritative environment. It becomes a very hierarchy environment. And then for some people, it's a trigger and they, they actually clam up. They go back into a shell. They're like, I've seen this movie before. I know what to do. I'll just, I'll just protect myself until I'm able to leave. Um, which, and I keep telling these leaders, like, again, you have to allow people to just show up for you and believe in me and this authenticity message is I have to do that as well as the consultant. I have to lead with grace. I have to, and again, not just like, y'all billion dollar company, y'all ain't better. <laughs> it's like, we figured out how to make money, but in the, in the pursuit of us being a high volume, high performance company, we just missed it along the way. And now that we say we're ready to do the work, give us a little grace sometimes. But I think it's, it's also to something you mentioned, right, is knowing when, okay, enough's enough, right? Like now you, you know what to expect from me. Now what's the excuse? Why, why aren't you willing to put in the work? Well, and I think, you know, again, back to, to your side of that, right? If you do a trial session with somebody or, you know, a trial workshop or whatever it is, right. And you, and you see how they interact and part of it is, okay, you know what? 
I can probably work with them, but I see some things that we need to have a conversation about before I am willing to agree. And then again, you come back to how do they take that feedback? How do they respond? Do they get defensive? Do they try to justify it? Is it always somebody else's fault? Like what, like what are the things that come up when you sit down with them and say, okay, I think this was a really productive hour. I learned a lot about the way you interact with your team. Um, do you mind if I share some observations and ask some questions? First thing is if they say no, then you're done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want you to say anything that didn't work for me. We're not doing that. Great. Awesome. Know that. Thank you. Great to meet you. Good luck. Bye. And I'm out. If it's, oh yeah, absolutely. Tell me, I'd love to hear what your take was. You say, okay, well, what about this? Or what was it? You know, I, I, I watched your reaction here and I couldn't really tell, tell me what you were feeling when X, Y, and Z happened. And I think, you know, again, this is so like, it's kind of like coaching one-on-one, but it's, it's really such a really good gateway thing is tell me what you were thinking during that moment. You know, I watched the way you reacted and you, you gave off of, you know, your body language completely changed or, you know, you, you, uh, you slammed your hand at whatever it is, right. For you to observe that and then be able to play it back to them and be like, Hmm, the other thing I also love, and I've, I've said this before, a huge fan of it is being able to record a session, especially if you can do it like behind a one-way window or something so like that people forget the camera's there because people are constantly shocked at their own physical presence during any kind of engagement, especially if the conversation gets at all difficult and they're so in the discussion that they lose track of, you know, what, what does my face look like? Am I, you know, fidgeting in my chair? Like people lose track of that stuff really, really quickly and it can undermine some of those communication dynamics, right? If somebody's, you know, I, I used to have a boss who didn't, she didn't realize she was doing it. We would go, we would talk to uh, the developers on our team and they were all like super shy, introverted. Most of them were, you know, Indian, Indian immigrants who didn't speak a lot of, of English. They were a little, a little uncomfortable. Um, and she would go and talk to them. And when she would talk to them, she would stand over them, like over their chair. And they would kind of like do like this, like it was this very awkward and she didn't notice it. And it wasn't until after I watched her do it a couple times, you know, we laughed and I'm like, you know, I, I think you're intimidating him. I think he's feeling like you're just like, on. and she goes, really? I didn't know I was doing that. I'm like, I think that's, you know, I wish, and I wish I had had a camera to be able to like capture it because I think if she had seen it, she probably wouldn't have needed me to say it necessarily. Um, but I think there's a lot of tools that you can use that can help sort of surface that. And then again, how do they react to that reality, right? Like they, if, if their reaction is to justify it or try to explain it away or explain why it's okay or, you know, whatever, what are you going to do, right? There's, there's, no, not there's nothing you can do. Yeah. But it tells you what you need to know Boom. really early on and gives you the chance to say, you know what? I'm not sure that I, I'm not, I'm really not convinced. I'm not feeling like you guys are really ready for what you say you want to do. When you get to a point where, you know, you want to talk about this again, I'm happy to come talk to you. But based on what, what I just witnessed, I'm, I'm not feeling like I'm the right fit for you with, with where you are and be able to walk away. Yeah. You have to be able to afford to walk away. Yeah. That's the other yeah. part. Well, and, and I think that's a, that's a huge, that's a huge takeaway from this as well is, um, 
it was it was funny that you say afford to be able to walk away um, was really one of the reasons why I did some business decisions have that I've made over the past year um, were because we 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 were um, good stewards of of and fiscally responsible along the way. Um, and, and again, that's a that's a huge nugget for for the business owners out there. Um, and again, that's not to say and like you said, made reference to, you know, there were some have to moments where, you know, you needed to work through some things. But I, what I don't want people to assume is that you just put your stuff on a shelf and was like, all right, I'm, they're all caution to the wind and I'll, I'll get back to that value thing later. No, it, it was okay. There needed to be a delicate conversation in, hey, this is what I'm about. This thing still applies. But like you said, if you had to do it again, there are some people you're not going to work with. And again, and people need to understand that as business, as you're growing this thing, your level of tolerance and, and your level and, and there, there are some things when I was talking to my wife um, about this particular uh, assignment, she was like, like literally she looked me in my face and Laura was like, all right, don't play with me. And I was like, I know, I know what the don't play with me. Like I, I got that early on in our marriage, like year one was like, I got the don't play with me face. Um, was like, all right, that means I better, I better see this the right way. I better do my due diligence and, 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 and evaluate it properly. But I think authenticity in this season for particularly for coaches like us is really helping clients, helping people understand what it looks like in action. Um, and understanding again, I, I, I keep going back to this. There are degrees to this um, and the degrees are maturity. Um, the degrees are our ability and, and want to, as it pertains to really scaling and really pushing out um, and leaning into this type of work. Uh, because at the end of the day, if you, if you can't repeat the process, you can't capture the process and, and record it, um, then how can it really be repeatable? Um, because you got to train people, you got to develop people. Um, and authenticity as a value um, is an amazing, amazing uh, business multiplier um, when, when done right. Um, and, and so that's, that's, that's where I'm at with it. So I think it, the last thing, uh, you know, that all of this reminds me of is, you know, once again, our eternal icon, Brene Brown, you know, one of the things she always says is that authenticity is not a box you check, right? It is the choices you make every day. And you don't get to just do it once and be done because life is going to give you an opportunity every time you turn around have to make a new set of choices based on new factors and new pieces. And I think the last thing that, that always comes out of that is most choices are relative. And I think that part is sometimes super hard, especially when it comes to a point where there's like, you know, big things that we feel like we're constantly hitting our heads against, right? Like, I don't want to work for, you know, a client who holds for Trump. I don't want to work for, you know, a, a client who I think is, you know, an unapologetic racist or sexist or homophobic. I, I'm not okay with that. However, once you get out of like the really clear black and white options, then you start getting into a whole series of kind of close maybe. And then the, the weighing of this versus that starts to become a lot more nuanced. And I think that's really where you have to be of bear with each other right there's this there's this sort of hysterical problem that progressives always have when it comes to the companies we support versus the companies we don't right so one of my favorite examples about this is disney right disney was on the forefront of gay rights for a long time so if gay rights was an important issue to you 
Disney was often a company that was considered worth supporting. However, Disney's not so good on labor rights. They have been very anti-union. They have had ex some extremely, one could argue, exploitative you know, business practices, particularly for like park workers and things like that. Um, and so if labor rights were your big issue, then maybe Disney wasn't a company. And, and, and both positions are very fair, right? They, they, there's nothing inaccurate about either statement. The challenge comes back to where do I need to prioritize for myself? Which one of those at this moment in time do I feel I is more important to me to align against? And it might not always be the same one, you know, it, it might be different over time. Um, and I think, again, back to you have to be fair with yourself and you have to be kind of gentle with yourself because the things that are really important to you today might be very different than what, you know, six months from now really feels super significant. And, and if you're not kind of generous with yourself about that, hey, you're going to drive yourself crazy. <laughs> and you're probably going to get the don't mess with me look from your wall. Love it, love it, love it. So I think we had, I think we got a good one today. Good, good. Well, I am, I am always glad to tackle any topic that is useful for entrepreneurs. And I think for especially, sure. you know, I think entrepreneurs who um, start businesses where they're more like maybe product, like traditional product centric, sometimes don't have to think about, okay, you know, what's, what's the personality or the character or the politics or the religion or whatever of the, of the people that, you know, are my customers because they can, they can kind of be more about the, this, this objective product, a hard good kind of product, right? Those of us whose business is about personal interaction and having a conversation, and to some extent, a need to want that person to be successful, right? And, and when you find yourself feeling offended or chafing against the things that they say, it's really hard to be invested in their success and then that puts you in an unfortunate position of just turning them into like a walking paycheck, which is not cool. And that's not why any of us got into this business. Um, and that wears you down over time in a really, really unfortunate way. And, and I think that's, that, that's a great, great, great point. So that, that's, I think that's, that's a nail in the coffin thing right there, right? Is not to go there, particularly in the work we do. I, mm -mm, not walking down that street. Yeah, no, we don't put it, you know, our job isn't a hammer and nail where we can stay, you know, mm -hmm. emotionally removed from the results. Like this is, this is a much too personal a thing that we do. Exactly. Um, and if you can't legitimately want to see your client successful, there's no business working with that client. I don't, I, you know, do everything else you need to do, but that, that is super important. And clients who offend our level, our degree, our, our sense of authenticity, our sense of our values can be very hard to want to see successful. Always a pleasure. You too, my friend. I will talk to you next week. Until next time. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.